Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week we cover business topics to help you grow your full-time business or your side hustle. We'll also bring you interviews from a variety of people winning in their space to share valuable business insights and life lessons. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host John Malecki runs a full-time furniture company and his content site, JohnMalecki.com. We've been growing our successful businesses online, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 93. It's time for another quarterly Q&A, and every week we answer questions from our patrons on the after show. In each quarter, we like to pick a few questions and share them with the broader audience. So we're going to have a mix of voicemail and written questions today around content creation and working your product business. Yes, before we get into it, we uh, want to give a big thank you out to this week's sponsor, which is Woodcraft. Woodcraft is one of the nation's oldest and largest suppliers of quality woodworking tools and supplies with stores in over 70 cities across the United States and an amazing website. Woodcraft is both Brad and myself's go to for woodworking tools and supplies. We're going to be working with them all year long, as you guys know. And if you are looking for a little discount on your shipping in the continental U.S., you can use code MFP at checkout for free shipping. That's in the lower 48 states only, but still an awesome value there. So thank you, Woodcraft, and thank you guys for using Woodcraft and our discount code. Absolutely. That's like... I just, I don't, I don't even drive over to mine anymore. I just have it shipped and use the code. No, I'm just kidding. Dude, I uh, used it last week. So like, I called my local store who I have a good relationship with. And I'm like, Dan, what's up? He's like, I need you to ship this to me. He's like, okay, it'll be like 12 bucks. I was like, no, 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 no. Code MFP. No, Drop code it in there, MFP. Bro. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What is this code? I ended up yeah. driving down yeah. and we had popcorn and a coffee. And six hours later, I got my finish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a nice little discount there, man. Because, yeah, it, it adds up. All right, man. But before we do get into the show, we also wanted to thank our new members of the MFP patron tribe. Uh, and, and I went into Google Translate, and I think I've got this right. Uh, but we have Steve Schreisengost and Mark Peacock of Deer River Craftsman. So, Steve, if I got anywhere close to your name, um, I, I would feel good. But if I didn't, then uh, that's what Google told me. It says it was from Dutch, a Dutch, Dutch background. But uh, yeah, hopefully I got that. See, we try to we, we try to do justice to some. <laughs> I know because if I had a, if I had to tried to pronounce that on my own, I would have I would have really really butchered that. Uh, if you want to support the show and get some awesome rewards and get your after show questions on the quarterly Q and A, uh, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit. All right, dude, let's uh let's just jump straight into it, man. We have uh, a, a juicy one. For the voicemail, what what do we have on our first voicemail? Yeah, we got our buddy James Shadbolt jumping in with a voicemail question. So here you go. Hi, John and Brad. James from Workbench World in Australia here. My question is a follow-up from Brett's question in After Show episode 83 about pricing. When you purchase a new piece of equipment that reduces the number of hours needed to produce a piece, what are your thoughts on pricing? Do you A, keep the old pricing based on, on the hourly rate, or B, reduce the hourly rate and increase the margin because the margin is where you pay for the depreciation and the running costs of the new equipment. Obviously, I love the show and the tribe you all built up here. Thanks. First of all, J- James clearly gets to lead the show with that amazing Australian yes. accent. Yes, I was yeah. oh, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> just just such, so, so beautifully said. God. Oh. 
Fantastic. But, but anyway, uh, yeah. Why don't you hit, hit in there, John? Because <clears throat> I thought this was a great question, and uh, and he mentioned he he referred to another question that was that had come up about running a CNC, which was a similar one that we had answered in a previous after show. So uh, what are your thoughts on this one, John? Yeah, so uh, when you when you get into a uh, new piece of equipment, uh, I typically do not um, change my pricing model around that piece of equipment, right? The business itself um, was the, well, they took on the burden of that piece of equipment. And with that, you, uh, you can definitely adjust the, time savings that are going into these specific pieces of equipment, but I wouldn't, it's not going to be something that's incredibly drastic. Typically, um, you know, it, it, whether you're, you're using a CNC for instance, and you're able to batch out, um, large volume of some item that might go into your typical product line, you're all, you're going to have to consider the, the design time and, uh, the, there still needs to be an individual of like, you know, swapping things on and off the parts. And um, it's it's not going to like, you know, com- considerably change everything happening within the business. It might just slightly adjust the time of uh, that you are um, putting into your your pricing model. Um, so uh, we don't I, I wouldn't suggest doing anything crazy specific as far as having a new piece of equipment in the shop and. Uh, changing the prices, especially on on, on James's workbenches, um, and it, it shouldn't affect those too drastically as far as making them more affordable or uh, cheapening that price. Because you now have to, you know, incur that cost as far as a business goes in order to pay that machine off or to try and uh, make up for the amount you put into that machine itself. Um, so I wouldn't do anything too drastic. But I definitely would start to use the machine as uh, often as you planned on using it and uh, and jotting down the uh, time differences in which your previous process to your new process are. Um, and then after a certain period of time, um, perhaps adjusting your your pricing. Uh, and, and honestly, if it's going to be faster, there's no reason for you to make your products cheaper. Like. The price is the price. And and, uh, just because you bought a bigger, I mean, I think in the after show question, we related it to like buying a bigger planner, right? Just because you can do things a little bit quicker doesn't necessarily mean that the price should be reflected in being faster. It's more that you're able to do a larger quantity of the the quality uh, product and you're able to put your time more into the value added aspects of your products can compared to material breakdown or, you know, flattening, milling, those kind of things. Yeah. And I, the way I like to look at it, and, and so I come from um, a background in corporate retail America, right? So uh, I am all about, you know, <laughs> knowing and understanding the pricing of things and the structure and the margin and all that. But, um, you know, where I think it's really going to come down to, uh, James, and then, and for anybody, as you're looking at this, is, um, is, is first of all, where's your price at, right? So, if you're having trouble selling, it's you know price and competition. If you have a unique niche item that you've set a market price for, and that you are commanding and getting that price, um, there's there's no need for you to lower that price. And anything that you make as far as investments in your business to make that faster is an investment that you're making to give yourself more margin, so that you take the margin uh, to the bottom line, and that's just what you get. And and you invested you know, sometimes probably heavily, right? If you're buying a, a huge, you know, CNC bed or something, let's say, let's take James's example. I don't know exactly what machine he has. 
or what he was getting, but James does um, workbenches. And so if he was having somebody hand drill all of the dog holes in a bench versus now he has a CNC machine that will do that uh, and, you know, reduce the time by, you know, 80 or 90 percent. Well, he's already established a price in the market for that. Uh, of course, we're now assuming that the job that the individual was doing, drilling the holes versus the machine is going to be the same. So that's the other thing is, does this new piece of equipment materially change the product? And if it does, then, you know, you might actually raise the price. Like now, what if, you know, you can say, hey, these these holes are now machined to a tolerance of, you know, five thousands. And so that, you know, does that have a value in the marketplace? If it doesn't and it's just the same uh, then I would, again, keep it the same because you've invested in that equipment and that extra margin is going to help to pay that back uh, or just to, you know, get your cash reserves back up for what you use to pay for it. Um, you know, the other side of it is if you're going to be, if you're going to be um, in the market and able to drop your price, you're going to get more business. That's the flip side. So if you have a really competitive marketplace, uh, like for instance, the automobile uh, industry, is that they're always trying to cut costs so that they can lower the price, keeping the same margin, but lowering the price because they've lowered their bottom line, and then they can make that up in volume. So that would be the flip side of it. Uh, but if you've established yourself with a unique product, then no, absolutely not. I would keep the margin, um, or excuse me, I would keep the, the top line price the same and take all of that into my pocket for further upgrades to, to equipment. And, uh, you know, that's that's how most of business is done, unless you're in a, you know, commodity type market, something that's like just extremely cutthroat. And uh, in that case, you know, you're going to use that to, to drop your price and maintain your margin. So that would be um, kind of my my business experience and, and thought on it from what I've seen in corporate America as well. Yeah, that's that's. I was trying to say the same thing. I just have zero dialect or experience <laughs> from your world. I mean, but but in the past, I've, you know, upgraded machines as my business has grown, whether that be a table saw joiner, planer, any of like the bigger, larger pieces of equipment. And um, I did exactly as you said, Brad, I, my prices went up now because the quality of my work was becoming better. And I already had a justified price point within the marketplace. I knew I was able to do more work uh, faster but I, I wasn't trying to compete on uh, volume and price. I was trying to compete on on quality and relationships kind of thing. So um, good question. Uh, and and if, if you guys are interested in, you know, hearing what we talked about on the after show of episode 83, all you got to do is join the MFP tribe. Yeah, it's right? there. You can go back and listen to all. When did we start the after show? Like, I think episode 10, maybe. <laughs> Like, like, yeah, like there's, there's a million episodes ago. <laughs> there is an archive of, of them. So you can go check that out. Yeah. But uh, the next question we had came from Brandon Walker and, and Brandon had a content question. He says, question on the content side, uh, when reaching out to companies for sponsorship purposes and providing a media kit, do you just present how many followers you have on each platform or do you try to emphasize your reach? And if so, how do you do that? Uh, you know, great question because we've we've talked about this, and um, you know, as as the show gets longer in the tooth, as you will, or uh, older and more experienced, I guess would be a better way to put it. Uh, we've talked about these things a long, long time ago. So some of our new mm -hmm. listeners uh, who are not gluttons for punishment and don't want to start at episode one and catch up, and they just started somewhere may not have heard this, but uh, we have talked about a media kit, which is basically when you are in uh, digital marketing and and online. 
marketing for content is is basically your resume. So it's like, hey, here's what my channel's about. Here is uh, who I am and a little bit about my audience and then my reach. And so that typically would be uh, the number of followers on different social platforms, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, maybe your blog uh, traffic and things like that. And so, um, but a, a lot of our, our listeners I know are, are not fully in, but they have Instagram, right? So what is media? And I think this is where this was coming as well as, is um, specifically on Instagram, if you're more of a, you know, social influencer versus a full content creator, uh, do you, do you want to just talk about the followers on different platforms? Because what if you only have a following on one platform, you know, and then how do you emphasize the reach? So uh, great question in the sense of, of two things. Um, one, emphasizing the followers you do have on a certain platform, but also the reach because followers don't exactly equal reach. And, and you can see that, um, you can see that in a lot of different areas, but, uh, especially on YouTube, I think John is one I've seen a lot is that you'll see some of these YouTube channels that have been around for a very long time and, and have a huge following and they might have 400 to 500,000 subscribers, but each of their videos only gets five to 15,000 views. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a, if I'm a company and I'm looking at somebody and just looking at their followers and then I pay them based upon a follower amount, but the reach is only 10 to 15,000 views. Like I'm not going to be very happy because uh, the price per impression is going to be very low because followers don't equal impressions and impressions would be the same thing as reach in this, in this situation. So, um, you know, so I, I would take that into account and, and most marketing companies, if they really know what they're doing, some people still aren't going to know uh, if they're fresh, new to it. But that's what they're mainly looking for is reach. They want to know how many eyeballs am I going to get in front of and who are those eyeballs? So, you know, knowing some demographics about your audience, male, female, age range, uh, if you do have any type of, of income information, which you can get in certain areas. But um, but mainly the big ones are going to be age, um, you know, gender and uh, geographic location is are the ones that they're going to want to know about because uh, they have a target audience. And if your audience doesn't match up with their target audience, it's not a good fit. Yeah. And if you're looking to, you know, I think there's multiple ways to go about uh, presenting yourself to sponsors. Um, and, and the hard data media kit concept um, is definitely one way to go about it. And I think Brad touched on a lot of really quality points there. Um, you know, reach and impressions are uh, what's I would say hyper valuable right now to brands, you know, um, it's going to be the first thing they're asking, the first thing you want to present to them. Um, and I, al I almost these days just throw that number out there, you know, Hey, I, I'm so-and-so from blah, blah, yada, yada. And I do 2 million impressions a week on Instagram, you know, boom, go from there to, uh, the next value add that I'm bringing to the situation. Right. So in, in, you can go that route or present yourself accordingly, what you do, who you are, um, and then ask for whatever your ask is or what your targeted reasoning for that, um, for your inquiry. And then, uh, mention that you've listed your, uh, associated accounts as well as attached a media kit, um, and present those numbers and such in there. Typically, uh, I like to lean on the side of trying to build a relationship and bring value to the relationship before I even start talking about numbers. Um, and that's because I'm on the quote unquote smaller end of the spectrum when it comes to, um, one of the influencers in our community that's trying to work with a lot of these brands. 
Um, and I also feel like if you lead with value add to the brand from your own personal sake, um, you're more than likely going to be able to fall into a, a favorable relationship early um, over trying to sell them hard on numbers first. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's totally just been my, ex- that. yeah, it's just been well, my, because, and it's better for, it's better for, um, you know, like <laughs> just like coming in hard with the numbers yeah. and, and because he, Aye. and specifically the way that, that Brandon que- uh, made the question was when reaching out to companies, right? Yeah. So this is not like if somebody comes to you and asks you for a media kit, then yeah, you give it to them, right? And you say, yeah, here you like, let, let's talk numbers. But uh, if you're reaching out, um, you know, what, like in, in your instance, John, I know we've talked about it before, but um, when you go in and, and show value or try to show value to them, like what would you normally do? Like show, be like, hey, here's here's how I've used your product, right? So yeah. like showing like, hey, I, I'm not just asking you for a handout. Like I've actually been using your stuff. Yeah. And I, I you know, here's how I might gauge something, you know, um, for instance, <laughs> Hey, Bud Light. My name is John Malecki. I am a 30-year-old uh, influencer, micro-influencer in the maker community. I formerly was playing professional football up until I got into the new blah, blah, blah. Kind of lead them in with a little bit of a backstory on who I am. Uh, I'm reaching out because I've been a big fan of your product for the past, how much, how long could I legally have been drinking? Nine years. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I was wondering if, and I had an idea. Boom. Hit them with your concept first, right? If you can put in, what I've realized in any sales um, situation for me personally, if I could put an idea in their head that they would never be able to think of or execute on themselves, I could typically close. Um, and that's whether I'm in a retail or, uh, just trying to sell a custom piece of work or sell a concept for a sponsorship. You get Um, them excited about something and have them and not like the most generic thing. And the thing that will just fall flat is I'd love to work together sometime. Yeah, no, hit them with your best idea. Because, <laughs> because they'd be like, okay, great. Like then then now what you've done is you've put the work back on them. Yeah. Right. And now like, okay, now they have to respond with something that's like, okay, sounds great. Like what what did you have in mind? Right. Like you've all of a sudden made them do work by asking you the question. Yes. Versus coming and and being like, boom, here's this idea that I have for a for a Bud Light launcher yes. that's going to you know, shoot over my shop and, you know, I'm going to catch the Bud Lights in both hands and then crush them with my Thor hammer and, yeah. and drink the, drink the golden liquid. What you've done is made, you've made their life easier, right? And we've talked about this on a few after shows is that anytime you're in a sponsorship conversation that you got to remember you're dealing with people and that that individual answering your email has to go to someone above them and pitch you and your concept. And if you can make their life easier, you're going to always be in a more favorable term. So in that conversation, I would go do exactly what Brad said. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about making a you know beer can launcher that'll launch over 200 yards. And, you know, uh, potentially, you know, I'd love to be working with your brand. You're my favorite beer, blah, blah, blah. Um, I've kind of, I've, you know, I've attached a media kit and here's my Instagram and my YouTube channel. You can kind of see the content that I do. Um, I'd love to chat further on this. If you guys have any interest, feel free to reach back out. My cell phone's blah, blah, blah. And my email's blah, blah, blah. What I've done there is now I've put an idea in the head of one of the individuals who manages marketing or creative and such. And I've given them an opportunity to go pitch a concept without them having to do any work, just like Brad said, right? And my numbers don't actually matter. I could be Joe Schmo off the street with nothing. Yeah. And, but because I gave them a good idea, that's where, you know, that's where the value lies in it for them. So uh, that's kind of how I enter situations. 
and I also am always trying to differentiate myself from the crowd, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm always looking for opportunities to add something creative or add some value. And I know that you and I both do that, Brad, and that's why we've seen successes, um, with, with a lot of our sponsors. Um, and then, but, but don't get me wrong. Like this can completely fall flat because you're going to yeah. run into businesses that have zero creative interest. They just want product placement or how to, or explanatory type content. And you're going to have to deal with that. And, and and so I would gauge your interaction with whatever brand you're going at towards geared on the type of content they've put, they put out on their own basis, the type of individuals they've worked with in the past. And if they haven't worked with any individuals in the past, make sure that if you're going to be the first, you're hitting a home run for them uh, or they're not going to want to work with you again or anyone else. <laughs> right. But I think the other thing that, you know, going along with that about making it easy, like if you really, if this is a brand you really want to work with, uh, and, and John talks about this all the time about, you know, kind of taking it on the chin early for long-term benefit. If this is a brand that you really want to work with, then may, you can make it so easy on them um, by saying, hey, like not only just telling them the idea, telling them exactly what you need from them. So I'm going to do this, like, can you send me over a, a case of Bud Light? And that's probably a bad example, right? Because you, you just go buy that. But let's say it was a tool. Like, I, I have this, um, you know, let's let's just use Craig Jig because it's an easy one, right? I, I've been using the Craig Pocket Mini forever. It takes, like, I love it, but um, I really would love to be able to, to make uh, pocket holes a lot faster. So if you could send me the K4, that would be awesome. Here's the project that I'm going to be doing, uh, and I'm going to incorporate it. Like if you can provide that, I'd love to to help uh, you know share your brand message. Da 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 da. Uh, and then like you've made not only so John talks about like then they don't even have to go pitch it like that. If if your ask is is only for product, like if you're not asking for money to get started, then a lot of times they can just go ahead and approve that, mm -hmm. right? So the easier the ask, and again, you know, we we also talk about knowing your value. So this would be, and you might even you know talk about that in there that hey, I I know that you've never worked with me before. Uh, I'd be totally willing to to just do this for product and let's see how it goes so I can show you my merit type thing so that then you've you've not uh, you've not sold yourself short in the sense that, hey, I'm going to work for product. But you just said, hey, for this time, uh, let me do my thing for, you know, and, and get something from them. So that's not just you doing it right. So there's at least something they're investing in you uh, at least a little bit. And then that way you've said, all right, you invest a little bit in me. I'm going to invest a little bit in you. Uh, except that, you know, I'm going to try to make something really awesome and that the intent, like John said, like you have to hit it out of the park and then you come back and go, yeah, check this out. Like this was, you know, 20% higher views than my normal videos. And, mm -hmm. and this is all the, the links that I, the link clicks that I got, et cetera, et cetera. So that getting your foot in the door, no matter what your reach is like to, to John's point, like that, that's more of a way to get over a low reach or a low follower count is uh, to let your results speak for themselves. Like let your content speak for itself and show them because uh, because if you don't have a large reach, well, guess what? These other companies can take your content and repurpose it on their social media. You've made a free piece of content for them that they can use. Yep. So for some of those brands, that's worthwhile enough as well. Uh, and then, you know, the, if you're starting to value yourself on views, then that's where it becomes. And now we're talking about, you know, somebody like uh, an Audible or, Yep. Or a, a Skillshare or something like that, where like all they care about is views. It's a cost per million CPM, cost per mil, uh, not million, 
Uh, so it's really cost per thousand. But anyway, that they're looking at that and they say straight math formula that how many views are you going to guarantee me? Okay, this is the rate per thousand views that we're going to pay you. And boom, here it is. And if you don't hit it, then here's what you owe us, right? Uh, if you go over it, well, awesome. You went over it, but we're still paying you the same amount. So uh, j- just another way to think about it, that you don't have to have huge reach um, all the time to get your foot in the door, you know, get there and then show them what you can do with your content. You also don't have to lead with numbers. And that's, that's the other point yeah. we wanted to make here is that we have a lot of listeners who accounts are growing rapidly as yours has, uh, Brandon, but congratulations on that. And, uh, mm. you know, you don't have to lead with numbers if you're looking to approach sponsors, but just make sure that you are bringing value to the table and you're not just coming in with a hard ask thinking that you're, you know, whatever means you think you bring to the table is, is seen, you know, bring some value for that brand. Um, don't assume anything. So, um, yeah. awesome question there. Um, loved, uh, loved answering that one on the after show as well as I think we got even some more enriching I know. I, quality. I know. I just, conversation like right juicy. There. <laughs> that was juicy. I love it, man. So, cool. um, what do we, I think we got another voicemail. Yeah. Now. Continuing a little bit on the Instagram path or, uh, Nathan asks a question and he hit us up with a voicemail. So uh, here's here's that. Hey, Brandon John. This is Nathan Tishner from Shockwave Woodworks down in Texas. I had a quick question. What do you guys think about comments pods or groups on Instagram? Is it something that you guys uh, have ever participated in? I'm in a group and I've seen a lot of benefit from both the community as well as the maybe a boost in the posts with comments and engagement. And it seems to help. Uh, I've seen a lot of growth personally since joining a group like that. And honestly, it makes the experience uh, on platform a lot more fun too, when you can have some camaraderie there with uh, another group of makers, maybe with similar size followings, trying to help each other out. Anyway, just wanted to get your guys thoughts. Thanks. Appreciate it. Keep up the great work. So, Really solid question, and the reason we decided to put it on the main show is because we've been seeing a lot of interest in these uh, quote-unquote pods or groups on on Instagram specifically. And um, in the after show when we answered the question, we kind of initially dove into um, the concept of what a pod is. So just for explanatory purposes, if anyone is not familiar, what Nathan is talking about is essentially creating a group within Instagram's uh, DMs where you are uh, able to promote each other's content. Uh, You hop on each other's stuff first, you like it, uh, you comment on it and try to get that initial engagement boost that we've talked about here on the show. And, uh, you know, if this was 2015, it would, we talked about on the after show, like, I think it would have a lot more merit as far as the like bomb concept and that initial boom spike and engagement goes um, when you're looking at getting a piece of content to to, to boost a bit. Um, as far as what we're seeing on platform right now, um, which is which is poo city, but uh, the <laughs> the concept of the pods, Brad knife we're talking about this feel that it's a lot more beneficial when it comes to um, feedback, when it comes to building community, when it comes to um, creating that kind of camaraderie you talked about in the question, Nathan. And, and with that, I mean, um, if you've got a, 
say you've got a video you want to put out there or something and you're looking for an opinion on a thumbnail or what to use as your thumb or uh, titling, hashtagging, things like that. Um, you know, that's kind of how I would approach using the pods or the groups with the way we know Instagram works now. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, we we're not seeing a lot of benefit from having that initial spike in engagement like we were six to 12 months ago. Um, we're, we're noticing a lot of changes on Instagram's platform. Um, and it's, it's just becoming a lot more difficult to quote unquote hack it or try and, you know, bypass some of the algorithmic features or whatever you want to call them. Um, but I definitely do see value in any type of group or community. You know, obviously with the podcasts and with our Facebook group and Instagram, like in all of it, you know, there's a ton of value to be gained from building uh, friendships and relationships. But, you know, you definitely you want to be weary of doing those on platform um, because Instagram's not dumb, right? And like I think right. we, we talk about this a bit in the app. Yeah, in the app we, sure, right, we hit that. Yeah, that. Um, what I think what's different now is that um, you know, two years ago, um, you know, I think it was just maybe starting to come up as like this thing called shadow banning, mm. right? And dun, dun, dun. and we even we even read about you know they said hey this doesn't exist that is a complete and utter lie. It, it does exist. I know, I personally know several people who have been quote unquote shadow banned. And so, or, or not, or sunlight banned. Let's go with that. Like they're just in your face. Like, Hey, we just banned you. Like we actually just had a question. Like if, if you do things on platform that Instagram thinks is spammy, then um, they can ban you in the, and when I say ban means that they uh, sometimes they will cut you off from doing certain things. So we, we just had a, a patron talk about, hey, I just I just got this message that said, hey, you're doing too much of this. Um, we're not letting you do that anymore. And it was commenting and which is crazy, because if you have a a post that goes viral, like they will actually or and the worst case scenario would be if somebody reposts and then you drop like 50 to 80 comments on somebody else's post, but it's a repost of your own post. What Instagram sees is like, oh, wow, this person is commenting 50 to 80 times on somebody else's post. That looks like spam. And they will shut your ability off to do comments and uh, among other things. And along with that, what usually comes is that they will completely squash you in serving you to new and different people and possibly even the people who are even subscribing to you or your followers. So, uh, you know, that's the biggest downfall of now versus you know, several years back when the pods were really um, kind of a big deal and when they first popped up is that Instagram, first of all, Instagram knows exactly who you're in DM groups with. And if, yeah. you know, like <laughs> I would not put that past them to be like, oh, this person commented in all these people like liked over here. Like I, I, I've not heard of that directly being an issue for people, but I have absolutely heard it being circumstantial that like people who were shadow banned were also part of similar type groups that weren't necessarily dropping that in there, but they were, they were quote unquote engagement groups or whatever they are that um, you just, you have to be, you have to keep your nose clean. And I, and I think the, the most important thing is like what little bit of extra amount of leverage is that going to get you versus the risk, right? Yeah. Because if, if you get shut down for a day or for a week or for two weeks, who, who some of my, my friends that's happened to that, like, what's the trade-off for the, that extra little bit of, of reach and juice you're going to get for a few extra comments, you know, in the first 15 or 30 minutes. Um, and, and so, yeah, I would, 
I would completely agree with you, John, that I am 100 percent for, um, uh, you know, I think we even said it at one point, uh, squads, not pods. So having like your little squad of folks who you're like just DMing with and, uh, you know, it could be anywhere. It doesn't have to be on platform. Could be there. Could be a text message group. uh, Could be on Facebook on a private group, wherever it is. And exactly what John and, and, you know, John and I are are part of, uh, you know, at least a couple of them of just groups where we'll shoot off. And uh, there's a group of folks who that we're all kind of in the same situation. And so we'll shoot thumbnails and say, hey, what do you think about this title? What do you think about this shot? And, you know, send them two or three thumbnails. Do you like A, B or C? Uh, and, and get that type of feedback. And and those are great. They're so beneficial. Uh, and then I can see that also on the product side. You know, if you had folks, hey, I'm 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 out there trying to promote this new product. Like, what do you think about uh, this? You know, how do you think that I should be promoting this? What do you think about my pricing structure? That's just that's just community. And that's exactly what you should be doing. And um, as far as juicing posts, I would try to leave that out. Yeah. And there's just, there's just too much gray space, I would say with it. And, uh, but I definitely think there's a lot of value in the picking the brains of like-minded individuals. Um, I loved how you touched on in the question, Nathan, what Brad was saying there with like, uh, you know, building some camaraderie and friendship, uh, Woodworking, furniture making, shop building, anything you're doing, uh, it can be very solitaire. It can be very lonely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Being by yourself, making things all the time and, you know, having a little bit of someone uh, to bounce ideas off of and converse with a group of people, you know, that's that's great. Um, And we love that. And I just wanted to reiterate that that kind of squad concept is something we're all for. Um, There's just. You know, neither one of us can sit here and say trying to hack the system is a way to build an account Um, because it's there's different ways to like double down on what's working and what's not. But as far as trying to, you know, boost your post up because you've got a group of 15 of the same people commenting and liking and uh, everything the minute you post something, um, I just don't think either one of us can stand behind that and say it's a winning formula. So uh, go ahead, uh, build all the squads um, that you want and that you think are valuable because there's definitely value in them. We just don't see them as being in application to posting content on Instagram. Yep, absolutely. All right. Our last question came from our buddy, Mark Placatoris. And he says, uh, has a question about rebranding. He says, I'm wondering if anyone has some advice about rebranding, uh, mainly Instagram handle and website. And he's starting a new business in the end and taking the side hustle full times. Congrats on that, Mark. Congratulations on, on your hard work getting there. Uh, but he wants to know, how should I explain to my audience the name change? Uh, and, and that's a uh, awesome question because so many people go through that, right? You, you start like, you know, Brad's woodworking or, or Brad's rustic palette creations. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you go down the road and decide like, hey, I want to I want to switch into something else, you know, and I want to get a little more overarching or I don't want it to just be my name. I want yeah. to have, you know, some some brand structure there. And um, and so that's a great thing. And we've known, uh, you know, plenty of people who have rebranded and done it successfully. Uh, but I, I think the biggest thing is just to be straightforward about it. And I don't think because I think he asked also um, in there, like, you know, should I make it a, a couple of posts? Uh, it, it depends upon what your reach is when you do it as well, because, um, you know, if, if you have a a small social reach, then <clears throat> it's not as big of a deal, right? Because you're not, uh, I, I think I even used the, uh, the the FedEx Kinko's whole thing. So when when FedEx bought Kinko's, you used to have Kinko's, right? 
and and that was where you got all your copying done. You go in and make prints and all that good stuff. Uh, FedEx bought Kinko's, and instead of just changing it to FedEx Office, they changed it to FedEx Kinko's. So they kept that name brand recognition because that was like such a huge name. Like you can't just drop Kinko's and then all of a sudden make it into something else. Like people are gonna be like, "What in the heck?" Where and then Kinko's eventually, <laughs> right? Yeah, and then now you know it's just like FedEx Office, uh, and so. And so, but if it's your brand, you know, that's what you need to ask yourself. Like, is, is there a lot of, are there a lot of things out there with your name on it? Uh, are you known in your local area by that name? Uh, so what's the impact going to be? If the impact is small and you're just talking about Instagram handle and website, uh, and, and maybe, you know, let's say you have uh, a, a thousand followers, like congrats on getting a thousand followers, but you know, down the road in the future, you're going to have a lot more. And so for that, you know, I would make a, a the logo change because they're going to see that. And then uh, in the bio, you know, for the first part, you can kind of do that FedEx Kinko's thing and say, formerly Brad's Custom Woodworking, now Awesome Sauce 5000, you know, like whatever, whatever my new name is and just have that up there so that there's some little, there's some little connection that people will look at your bio because that's the other thing you don't want to do is just have a wholesale change. And people are like, when did I start following Awesome Sauce 5000? Like, who is this joker? Yes, because I've done that. I mean, I've seen, there's been individuals who have changed account names on uh, on platform that I was familiar with their previous name, they pop up my feed and I literally just unfollow them because I don't know who they are. And right. so You're like, what, what is this? Yeah. And so um, I, I love what you said there because you have to gauge the amount of effect it's going to have on your community for sure. Plus Instagram specifically gives you an opportunity to explain who you are immediately in the bio. Um, but if you think that it's going to be such a massively I guess, transitional type business move for you, um, consider the rebrand to be something supplemental to the main brand um, as well. So uh, we'll, we'll take a step back to, to my business and look at, uh, look at it as it is right now as the brand John Malecki, right? And um, I started my business as my name because I had a little bit of a following when I was coming out of the NFL and I didn't want to just go ahead and change that for the exact reasons you're talking about here, Mark. Um, so I started to run with it. And as I started to produce and make custom work, people started falling into it, but it was very hard to show up for anything search wise as just being my name. So I started to dabble around with it a bit. And as I started making content and custom work, people just got super confused with what I was doing. They're like, wait, do you make videos? Do you make furniture? Do you build houses? Are you just hungry? Like, what's the deal here? <laughs> and so what I started, instead of changing my name, John Malecki, on social to um, uh, Metal and Wood Custom Furniture, which is what I ended up going to uh, for, for my custom work, I decided to supplementally brand my overarching brand of John Malecki with a retail outlet or custom work outlet like um, like I did there. Uh, and another good example is is Jeff Mack, right? Jeff Mack right now has um, Jeff Mack Designs, and he just launched his uh, his store, which is branded, right. you know, Jeff Jeff Mack Supply. Jeff Mack Supply, and instead of trying to sell. Uh, the supply um, skews via his design company, he just created a separate opportunity to tangentially market it, um, which was smart, right? For him to try and switch one of them over or to switch Jeff Mack designs to an all-encompassing brand uh, is like, 
you know, Jeff Mack retail or something, it would have been confusing to his audience who got used to it. So he went with the supplemental route. Um, now, I don't know if that's necessarily applicable to your brand itself, but it's definitely something you want to consider, right? You know, um, if you, Brad, you know, for instance, were to start a, a secondary, you know, you wanted to all of a sudden go into making custom furniture, uh, fix this, build that, you you, you wouldn't want to just change it all of a sudden because it would be a completely different, you know, type of product. You may want to co- consider a, a supplemental brand by fix this, build that. You know, or right. or then kind of like pol- associated polo by Ralph Lauren. Like that's the mindset right. I took. Um, and and I like that idea because it's it's that it, it's perfect for tangential, like you said. Like I, yeah. I think that's totally when it when it's something like as uh, and I think Jeff's example is is perfect as well. Like on Jeff Max Supply, it's much more salesy. Yep. But it's around and it's around more product, right? Yep. So he's got pictures of epoxy and pictures of of slabs and, and yeah. dyes and things that he's selling like mm-hmm. that, that, you know, works on his main account for a little bit, but to the point where he's wanted to drive those sales, it would dilute his beautiful, yep. uh, fine furniture that he's always posting on his account. Right. So, so great thing there. Like if you're, if, uh, you know, you're just taking, which, which it sounds like here that, that Mark was doing, right. He's taking the side hustle full time. So when you're just going to that next level, it's a bit easier, and it really, I think what you know, I think what we even said in the after show is is uh, you know use that as a point of celebration, right? You're hitting a huge milestone. Like I'm, I'm so happy to announce I'm going full time, and I'm now launching, you know, whatever Mark Placatoris uh, Woodworks, uh, and and whatever that thing is, like that that's that your followers and and play on that, like play on that, bring the new logoing in, um, and having your logo, your new one. And even maybe a picture of yourself with the new logo, like to, because like John said, you know, he goes in somebody's feed and he's like, who the heck is this? Like having something so that people, when they see it, they're going to recognize you. Um, And I think we also talked about like, if in your feed, uh, if in your feed, there's, there's things that people resonate with, they, they always see you at your same, you know, background, which has, you know, really bright walls or something like that that uh, if you're keeping that and having the new logo, it's going to have, like if your feed looks the same, it's just a different name. People I think are going to be easier to assimilate. But I think Mark was actually changing shops too. And so, you know, starting out and going going from one shop to another shop and changing names, you really got to be careful. So I would kind of go on the route of over-communicating uh, and just kind of sharing the story, putting it on there and even maybe having a story highlight you know, rebrand or something like that, where people can click on and you just have a short series of five or six stories where you mm-hmm. talk about how excited you are about your new opportunity and show the old logo and the new logo and and just walk people through uh, the story and the transformation. And then pin that to your, uh, yeah, to your profile. Yeah, now. pin so, it to the highlights. You yeah. know, like, you know, n- n- something that's going to pop and catch attention, you know, uh, new branding or, n- you know, whatever you think could be uh, good for it. Um, love that. I, and, and, you know, don't, I also just don't think of it as an single one time move kind of thing, right? If it's something that you're concerned about, go back and touch base on it with your audience frequently, right? You know, like, Hey, when we moved over to blah, blah, new brand, um, you know, we decided to start creating this, you know, make sure you're touching base and acknowledging the audience that's been with you from the get go. Um, I think that there's a lot of value in that. And that they'll be grateful for it, you know, that you just didn't all of a sudden go, hey, don't care about you guys that have been there since the beginning. I'm going to change over, you know, just 
just be considerate of the audience you've built already. Um, and you shouldn't have any issues. Uh, typically, uh, we've seen a lot of positive reaction in these situations on platform, which is uh, something that is pretty consistent with Instagram. Um, as far as YouTube and Facebook goes, you might get a little bit of pushback like, hey, where'd so-and-so go? But um, the like Brad said earlier, the audience you build in the future is much more important than the one you've built in the past, especially if you're going to be changing your business type um, or the, I guess, the general focus of your business. Um, one last thing I wanted to touch on is that if your audience that you've grown already isn't enormous, like I would say under 500 followers or so, um, consider just starting a brand new uh, account for the new business um, and then driving your personal account or existing account over to it. Um, that's, you know, it, it sounds like it's a daunting task and something that's more difficult, but if you could pick up a couple hundred people that are following you from the past and you start to put out different types of content that are geared much more towards your business um, goals, you'll see a lot more growth there quicker than you would on trying to convert a different audience into a new, you know, into an audience that's um, going to be different in metrics and in demographics and such um, for the future. So don't rule that option out as well. So I, I hopefully that answered your question, Mark. Um, I know we touched on like all of the dynamics that sort of go into uh, a brand conversion or change. Um, oh, one more thing. <laughs> so this is kind of uh, interesting. This popped in my mind now, not when we answered it, but um, if any of you are familiar with uh, the email service ConvertKit, I don't know if we even talked about this, Brad. Um, ConvertKit earlier this year tried to go and rebrand, right? And they did this huge, massive launch. Um, it was all this media behind it and blah, blah, blah. They ended up changing to a, a name of their company, and then forcing their everyone to go and use their new website and their new email, blah, 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 all this stuff, right? And then the name was something like derogatory and they weren't able to use it and they just didn't do any background into what it could potentially do for the brand long term and had to go and change back to ConvertKit. Um, so <laughs> be weary of something like that. You know, make sure if you're changing to uh, some, I guess, like, you know, non-English word that yeah. could be interpreted like, in another way. Don't uh, make a car called Nova and try to sell it in uh, Spanish-speaking countries. Yeah, kind of like that, right? Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> so something like that. But just, uh, just do. My point of bringing this up was to uh, just do some research, understand your audience before you make any changes, and then, um, then use the advice that we just gave you to do the proper, diligent process. Um, and you should easily see some success and you should see it quickly. Absolutely. Love it, man. All right. So this is uh, just a little sampling of what we do every week on the after show. We like to share this quarterly with you guys. And again, if you do want to to join in uh, to that patron tribe, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit. <clears throat> Excuse me. Wow, get it uh, but yes, I know. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but we're going to wrap this one up and uh, we look forward to hearing tons more patron questions and sharing some select few with you guys uh, in the next quarter. So we'll catch you guys on the next episode. Peace. See ya.